Friends and welcome to another edition of Dan and Benny in the Ring. I'm Dan Sebastiano, joined as always by the BS Express himself, Benny Scala. Benny, how you doing today? It was an interesting day today, Dan. My, my you know, now new girlfriend decided she wanted to climb up a tree, so I decided to follow her. I, I climbed up the tree and then I, I kissed her between the limbs. Oh Jesus! So yeah. that that was <laughs> a soupy, that was a Soupy Sales joke, and I think I, Evan's going to know who Soupy Sales is. Probably the only person yeah. who's going to know who Soupy Sales is. No, I know Soupy Sales. Oh, do you really? Okay, man, bring bringing out that reference. I'm, I'm, so, I'm so old, I met Soupy Sales. <laughs> well, as, really? as uh, he was very nice. He was great, Soupy Sales. Well, there, there you go, Betty. Uh, dating, dating the panel. Uh, as you, as you pitched out, uh, joining us today, the. Um, couple of uh, experienced legends we have here in the business uh nikita breshikov and evan gisberg gentlemen thank you so much for being here again yes thank you my pleasure. my pleasure now last time we had you two on the show we did kind of a what if discussion on uh should should the uh, wwf have had billy graham drop the title that we talked about backlands run and and there was you know again 40 years later we were still talking about it well, this time we're going to do another what-if discussion, and this is something that's come up a lot, and we brought you both back because of your, your experience in the business and especially with the, your, your understanding of the history of the WWF. We're looking at the decision made by Vern Gagne and the AWA not to put the title on Hulk Hogan. Now, uh, Hulk Hogan had his feud with Nick Bockwinkle, couldn't quite get over, ended up leaving the company, went back to the WWF. McMahon strapped the rocket to Hulkamania and the rest of they say is history. So uh, we're bringing you guys in because we were going to talk about, you know, again, what if in the world of wrestling, they, they use the term fantasy booking. Uh, Benny and I have done some fantasy booking and what if shows in the past, and it's always an interesting topic. But I want to start, uh, Nikita, I'm going to go to you first. You, you, we were talking before the, uh, the, the show got on the air about uh, you know what the, the the different events and venues and whatnot. Um, at the time, kind of set the set the mood for us. At the time of Hulk Hogan's jump to the WWF, how important in the global scheme was the AWA title? Well, it was still very important because the territories still existed. So each territory's champion, of course, was going to carry that area. So naturally. And I think this is why they didn't want to give the belt to Hogan. I think it was Bachwinkle who was champion at the time. As Evan yes. so eloquently pointed out, he and I are no experts on AWA. But in keeping with the topic, because we're going to go in a different direction, he and I, of course. Yeah, with Bachwinkle champion, I, I got a feeling it was kind of like when we talked with Backlund the last show. Ganya wasn't going to take that belt off of Bachwinkle. So, you know, here's Hogan. You know, he knows, look, I'm on fire. I just had this big movie success. I'm a face. I'm over. Give me the belt. And it's like, no, I'm not giving you the belt. So McMahon, with his uh, wisdom, and you got to admit, like him or not, he eats, sleeps, and shit wrestling. They got to Hogan and said, come on aboard. And we got this program. And it's never been done before. And we want to put you in the driver's seat. And boom, there they go. 
I could, yeah, there you go. The, it's a good set of the foundation. Evan, you, you talked obviously about your uh, experience and you've been very, very knowledgeable with the different territories and, and the dates, especially with the WWF and the WWF. Uh, I want you to set the stage for us. Uh, when they brought Hulk Hogan in, you had the Iron Sheik. We, we talked last episode about uh, putting the title on, <clears throat> excuse me, pu- uh, putting the title uh, taking the title off Billy Graham, I mean, and, and putting it on Backlund. And then Backlund drops the title to the Sheik before they introduce Hogan and the birth of Hulkamania. Uh, can you set the stage kind of what the wrestling world in the Northeast looked like before the big match between Sheik and Hogan? Sure. Well, Backlund had been champion since 1978. He had a six-year run, which... Uh, you know, you certainly can't knock them for that. And um, so Vince Jr., Vince Sr. dies, and Vince Jr. takes over. And he's got a whole different picture in his head, you know, uh, of wrestling as sports entertainment as opposed to old-school wrestling. And he sees gold in Hogan. And Hogan had worked in WWE before, and he had a program with uh, Andre before, and, you know, they they kind of sweep that under the rug like it never happened, but it most certainly did. Hogan even wrestled Backlund on a few occasions, and Backlund inevitably beat him. And at the time, Hogan and Backlund didn't even headline the Garden. Hogan wasn't as big a deal, but he caught on fire in the AWA, and basically during that period, the NWA belt was considered the number one belt in the world. Even in the WWF programs, you know, the NWA champion, who generally was Harley Race during that era, um, was considered the world champion, and Backlund beneath him, And probably number three would be the AWA champion, which was, you know, a big territory in major cities like Chicago. And um, so all of a sudden, the Sheik, (laughs) who was never looked at as a long-term champion, he was basically just the interim guy to uh, get the belt to uh, Hogan, and uh, Hogan comes in, and it's electric. And next thing you know, it's Hogan and Piper and Cindy Lauper and Wendy Richter and Lou Albano and Rock and Wrestling, and it's on MTV. And all of a sudden, it's chic, and the uh, you know rock stars are there, and the celebs are there, and it's not quite as blue-collar. It's a different feel to it. I mean, it, it was still... You know, you still had the old school guys in the mix, but um, it was a very different feel with Hogan as champion. And I'd just like to point out, which is often forgotten, guys like Bruno, Pedro, Backlund, Billy Graham, they defended the belt every month at the major arenas, every single month across the territory, with rare exception. You know, once in a blue moon, somebody would be hurt, like Bruno 
or uh, they'd be in Japan. But, you know, 11 out of 12 times, let's say, the world champion would be defending the belt at these arenas. Hogan only came in three, four, five times a year. So he was he was not the huge draw that a Bruno was. And somebody's dog in the background is agreeing with me on all That's of my these My 15-year-old Jack Russell, she totally, That's right. she's totally, he totally agrees with me. She's so. marking out. Yep, we We've bonded. We've bonded. So anyway, anyway, um, I don't know what uh, Nikita would like to add to that, but um, Hogan, you know, was hot, but he didn't have to sell the place out every month like nope. Bruno and Backlund and the other guys did. Well, they made wrestling trendy because, like you said, blue, the blue-collar guy got left behind. They figured we'd follow the trail no matter what they did, but they found that wrong that we weren't going to buy that, but it didn't matter. When you got Saturday night's main event preempting Saturday night live, it's like, holy mackerel, that never happened before. And then with MTV's interjection, Cindy Lauper brought in the whole routine. And you, you got to know. Saturday night Titans. Yeah, but before that, because that was a regional cable, but Cindy Lauper gets a lot of credit and she deserves it. But Cal Rudman was behind the scenes. He was big in the mu music industry. He had even more to do with bringing in uh, people from the record industry because every George Thorogood, there were so many people involved with uh, wrestling then coming to the garden and just expanding it. It really started to become wrestling entertainment. That's why I always quoted as the day the music died when Hogan beat the Sheik because we became wrestling entertainment at that point. Well, speaking of music, you know, J.J. McGuire and Jimmy Hart, J.J.'s a good friend of mine, you know, they, they had themes for every guy that walked down the aisle. Prior to that, that wasn't that common. You know, Gorgeous George did it, and uh, Bad Bad Leroy Brown did it with the Jim Croce song, but the Freebirds did it, but it wasn't like every single star had his own music and his own, you know, music videos. The whole thing changed, and MTV had come into, you know, the forefront during that same era, during the 80s, and it all just worked hand in hand, and next thing you know, Hogan's on the cover of Sports Illustrated, which had, you know, never been done before. Usually, you know, you had a Muhammad Ali or somebody you know, yeah. legit, and uh, it was a different world. It was a different world. And I'm sitting there at Madison Square Garden the night, you know, Piper Clocks, uh, Lou Albano, you know, across oh, the head with, with the, the gold record. What, yeah, with the gold record, yeah. And, you know, and you're sitting there going, this is great, it's electric, but I'm not sure... I like where this is going. It's like it's like I had like this inner battle because you know Piper was unbelievable, you know char charisma off the charts, but you saw it was going in a more circus-like direction. And um, I, I have it, a term that I, I like to use. It before that happened, entertainment was a small part of wrestling. Then wrestling became a uh, entertainment took over and then wrestling became a small part of entertainment. It's like, you know, here we are now theme wise, Sergeant Slaughter was doing it well before Hogan because the Marine hit, but that was it. 
Devin is right. Nobody else had theme music. Nobody else had smoke or any of that other stuff. But as part of the what if with Hogan, if they were smart enough and Ganya said, here's the belt, go with it. Who would have carried the flag for the WWF expansion? That's the question, right? And I'm going to say you could have gone with the Sheik for a good six months easily. You, you could have just played that out because he had the heat. People were coming to see him get beat. But who was going to be the new face of Vince McMahon's WWF? I'm saying it would have been Sergeant Slaughter. He could have done it. Interesting. He had the popular. Well, I, I happen to agree. Slaughter was on fire back then as a face, and him and the Iron Sheik did headline arenas with their boot camp matches when Hogan wasn't there. Yes. And uh, so, yeah, I, I agree. I think prior, Vince had his eye on Snooker, but Snooker had his personal issues. Right. You yes. know, so um, Snooker, you know, just sold, heel or face, Snooker sold the building out. Uh, ditto Sergeant Slaughter. Slaughter was a huge draw. And I, I believe I told you guys the story last show. I'm not, I'm not quite sure because, uh, as I said, prior to the show, I'm 103 and my memory isn't what it was. But on December 8, 1980, Sergeant Slaughter's wrestling Bruno. And uh, Backlund was in Japan, a rare show that he missed. And um, they have a great, great match, bloody brawl. And everybody walks out of the building happy. I hit the street, and I'm walking outside the garden, which is, you know, 33rd Street, right in, you know, Manhattan, busy area, even 10, 30, 11 at night. There's a weird vibe in the air, very weird vibe. I walk up to the first guy I see, and I, I'm like, what happened? I could see something had happened. Guy says to me, John Lennon just got shot. I'll never forget it. I'll oh, never shit. forget it. And, um, yeah, and that was, you know, before cell phones, before cable. And by the time I traveled back to Queens, a different borough, um, we found out he had died. And the first reaction... My first, and I, I was not a huge Beatles fan. I was more an R&B, jazz, blues guy. But uh, my first reaction was, what a shame on New York City that this happened here. What a shame on us, yeah. you know. And, yeah, I'll never forget it. Forty years ago. Yeah. So um, Pedro won the Intercontinental Belt that night from Patera. Yeah. Let me just say something about Patera. This guy, this guy could have been the champion. He was so great. He was one of the top 20 heels of all time. Ditto Don Morocco, top 20 heels of all time. You could have gave that belt to any of those guys, and they would have drawn. But I agree with Nikita. The guy who was on fire the same time as Hogan was Slaughter. And, and getting back to the AWA, Slaughter jumped. Slaughter jumped to the Pro Wrestling USA, which was AWA and NWA, and he was headlining for them. He headlined against Ric Flair. He headlined against Kamala. Um, Kamala was on top at the time. And um, he had lost a step or two by then. 
you know. Well, uh, the, but what happened yeah. was, because Nikolai was now going to take the program, they had run with the Sheik, and it ended with the Meadowlands. It was a tag match. Slaughter puts the Sheik down with the Cobra Clutch, and then it was Slaughter and Andre against the Sheik and Nikolai. So now, okay, Nikolai's squaring off with Slaughter in the ring. They're going to start a program. So Nikolai tells me what happened. He said Slaughter got pissed off with the merchandising deal. He didn't like it. They didn't have contracts at that time. So he said, screw it. And he jumped ship. Because Nikolai's like, I was ready to make good money with Slaughter. And then, boom, he's gone. He said, man, I get screwed yeah. big time. But it's like, you know, hey, again, there was no contracts. So it's kind of like, yeah, there's a lot of big merchandise going around. I want a cut of that. And it's like, well, show me the paper where you're going to get a cut of it, I guess. And then it, they didn't have it. So Vince kept it. And then Slaughter said, screw it. I'll go work somewhere else. But we all live and learn. It seems like the good idea at the time, but doesn't always play out that way. So speaking Johnny of Valiant used to Johnny Valiant used to call me when he'd get his annual merchandise checks, and he would read the number to me, and it would be like a hundred fifteen dollars and seven cents, and he would laugh, knowing he had been exploited, yeah. knowing. Yeah, he would laugh. Okay, and, so. and here, here's a good tie-in. Johnny Valiant was Hulk Hogan's manager in the AWA. Yes, that's right. First came in. That's right. There you go. Go for it, Benny. What you got? So, you know, now that you're talking about merchandise, so I'm going to go backwards a little bit, back to the AWA. And the, the match that I had posted on Facebook was the – it was uh, April 24th, 1983, St. Paul Civic Center. It was Bachwinkle and Hogan. You know, Hogan comes in to the Eye of the Tiger – uh, wearing a black T-shirt, and he's—I forget what it said, but it's—I think the back of it said it's now or never, and it was just so like to me, it, like watching it now, it was like so obvious. Now's the time to pass the torch, but it was one of those, you know, the bullshit dusty finishes where you know, uh, Greg, um, Greg, thinking of Greg Gagne, uh, Bachwinkle had Hogan in the sleeper hold, and the referee Lord James Blears, of course, had been knocked out, uh, and. Bachwinkle was on Hogan's back. Hogan kind of flipped Bachwinkle over the top rope. Then Bachwinkle gets back in the ring. Actually, Hogan suplexed him in, you know, and then gave him the leg drop, one, two, three. And the crowd goes nuts. And, you know, it, Hogan's carrying the belt around. About five minutes later, Mean Gene said, uh, you know, sorry. And I guess, you know, Hogan got disqualified. And apparently the match was booked as an ODQ, but that was one of these, you know, of course, wrestling, you know, wrestling promoters have amnesia sometimes. But, you know, I guess that the crux of Hogan not getting the title was, was two things. One was merchandise. I guess Ganya wanted a, a lot bigger cut of the merchandise than Hogan was willing to give him. And the other thing was, that back to the, what you guys said before, you know, they were cutting their, you know, they were setting their ways. Ganya held the belt, I think, until he, he was like 52, 53. I think he had like one last run when he was like 55. And then Bachwinkle was... The, the the night of that match was 48. Hogan was 29, and uh, in Ganya's mind, the AWA you you couldn't put the the belt on a non you know the the, the word they used back then was scientific wrestler. So I guess my question is you know and I'm writing a story for Pro Wrestling Illustrated on this very topic and I'm calling it the butterfly effect, which is not quite technically accurate, but um, if you know if that had happened, of course that was going to alter wrestling history forever. Would would Hogan as the champion in the AWA 
how would that have affected Vince McMahon's expansion plans? And it would have had to, at least for a bit. No. I think it just would have delayed it because ultimately you cannot escape from yourself. You are who you are. And I've said this a million times. I don't like speaking ill of the dead, but simply put, Ganya didn't want to spread the money around, okay? And Vince paid these guys more. He paid these guys more. Simple as that. And, you know, so all of a sudden, Ventura and, and Patera and Hogan and all, Heenan, all mean these Gene, guys with Jesse jump. Ventura, yeah, Wendy Richter, yeah, David Schultz, all and these Brunzel. guys. Yeah, all well, these you notice, Mean Gene came. Mean Gene came with Hogan. Yeah, so they were right. like a package. Right. Well, like you mentioned, right. Nikita Hogan, or excuse me, with uh, McMahon, you know, breathing, living, breathing wrestling. That was one of the things he was really, I don't want to say the first, but he re- that really led to his success was he was able to kick out all this money to bring in the big talent, which increased ratings, which increased ad revenue, which increased ticket sales, which increased more money, which then he brought in more talent with more money, which then led to more money, which he then spent on more talent. And it, it kind of created this system. True, but he had better TV. When he, and look, anybody will tell you if you don't have good television, you ain't going to draw shit. Right. Just like when the IWA tried in 1975 running out of the Roosevelt Stadium, they couldn't buy TV time. And Senior had it all locked up. They dried up. It was midnight. It was midnight in New York, exactly. (laughs) And with that, now with Vince, with NBC and MTV, it's like, like Slaughter would have carried it. Hogan would have burned out. If he didn't have that Vince McMahon machine behind him, Nikolai had a great saying, bullshit can get you to the top, but it cannot keep you there. Hogan wouldn't have fucking lasted six months, period. So you if think it would have just it would have just delayed everything, not not, you know. Well, like Evan said, that's why he wasn't there every month, because it got boring. It was exciting in the beginning. That I I admit, like Evan said, I wasn't with the Lou Albano thing, but when he came to Baltimore, I had a tiger, it's exciting. You're you're wrapped up in the wave. But then you put him in a ring with Greg Valentine, who's a great scientific wrestler. It's a shit match. You know, and it's like he's too big for Valentine to work with. They even tried to blow Morocco up. He gained like 30 or 40 pounds. And it was like, eh, it didn't look right. You know, I think Morocco could have killed him if they just let him go at it. But, <laughs> you know, they weren't going to do that. And it was just like, no, Hogan would have never survived without Vince's machine, period. What happened with Hogan, with Hogan, let's say in Madison Square Garden, when he was in there with a Roddy Piper or a top, top guy like a uh, Randy Savage, you know, it, it was great. Paul Orndorff, it was great. But, but the lesser, the lesser names, you knew at the 8, 10, 12-minute mark, he would, hulk, he would hulk up, do the leg drop, you know. And, and, and there was little, if any, suspense. You know, you never looked at the other guy as a legitimate challenger. You looked at, you looked at it more as an appearance. It was an yes. appearance. And he'd come back three months later or four months later. 
and it was the same thing. He had a great feud with Orndorff, Piper, and Savage. Beyond that, I, you know, um, I can't think of too many other guys I was ex- – you know, he wrestled Harley Race at the Garden, and you knew Harley Race wasn't going to beat him, and Harley Race was an all-time great. I mean – It's just, um, it was the same shtick, you know, time after time after time. And ironically, the hardcore fans, which at that point were the the early sheet readers pre-internet, they weren't thrilled with Hogan, you know, um, but he he drew money. The times he, when he showed up, it was a big deal because he hadn't been there in a few months. And I love when you mentioned earlier, Evan, they they forgot all about the Andre Hogan feuds of 1980 and 81. That all just disappeared. But he had slammed Andre on television at Chase Stadium. But then they made that in the closet. And then they made the big deal. And it was sad to look at Andre at that time of his life. You could see the pain the man was in. And he, as a trooper, he went out and did it. But it's like, Big deal. Hogan slammed him so many. Mulligan slammed him. Stan Hansen. Harley Race slammed slammed him. Yeah, you know, it's like, come on. But, you know, there you go. You pump it up. You put it out there with the machine, and people are like, oh, he's never been slammed before. Hogan slammed. It's like, no, idiot. It's been done 20 (laughs) times. Go go home. Eat some bananas with your mama or something. Yeah. Yeah. You, you have to remember the the big match at WrestleMania three. Not only had he never air quotes never been slammed, but he hadn't been. What was he was undefeated for undefeated fifteen, 15 years. years? Yeah, yeah despite the, the fact that Hogan yeah. beat him at Shea Stadium. And, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think it's interesting uh, to go and, back. And what did they draw? Ninety six thousand. Yeah. Look at that. What? Yeah. Hundred hundred thousand people that uh, most of whom probably ordered WrestleMania three on pay per view are being told that this you've never seen this match before and they they were there live but uh you know to go back i, I think something um i want to touch on cuz you, you seem to be you guys seem to be in agreement which is nice it's a little differing of a, of our uh debate on billy graham, billy graham um yeah. that that even if hogan had won the awa title he doesn't carry that company to the next level he flames out AWA flames out Vince McMahon finds somebody else and WWF is still the, the uh, upper echelon. I'm curious of two, two things. And then <clears throat> Benny, I know you're, you're chomping at the bit here too. Um, you, you guys both mentioned Sergeant Slaughter as kind of being the face. And I could see that he, he, however, he's five years older than Hogan. So by, by the early nineties and, and, and your rock and wrestling connection and all that, as, as, as you start transitioning into the modern era, uh, it, would he have been too old to carry the torch that much longer than Hogan? And the second thing is Sergeant Slaughter had a big cross promotion in the eighties with the, uh, with GI Joe, G.I. with Joe. the cartoon and the fit action figures. Do, do you think that Sergeant Slaughter, the, the television character still exists if he's the centerpiece of the WWF at the same time? No, no, because he had slowed down. He had lost the step or two. I saw Slaughter wrestle Ric Flair in the main event and for the NWA for the NWA belt and it was a disappointment. It was a disappointment. I saw Slaughter and Kamala headline the Meadowlands for Pro Wrestling USA. It was a disappointment. And I and I like both those guys and I was a huge Slaughter fan. 
he had slowed down. And again, people tend to forget that these guys were carted from town to town, town to town, whether they were hurt or not, basically like farm animals for uh, 300-plus days a year. 300-plus days a year. After slaughter fizzles out, you got another guy who was there growing like a weed, Roddy Piper, who was on fire that would have taken, he would have outdone Hogan if Hogan stayed in the AWA. He could have. Piper was so hot he didn't need a belt. But he could have, right. But if they said, you know what, we can't get Hogan and Slaughter is getting the, it's your turn. Here, there's the belt, Piper, go with it. And he could have carried them without a doubt. Benny, what you got? Well, a quick comment, because we're talking about WrestleMania 3, and then a question to both these guys. So, uh, WrestleMania 3, April 29th, 1987, 93,000 people at the Pontiac Silverdome. Uh, just to show how far, thing, how much things had changed, April 29th, 1987, the AWA did a card at Boylan Catholic High School in Rockford, Illinois, and the main event was uh, a 52, then 52-year-old Nick Bockwinkle, and a his tag team partner was a then 50, 51-year-old Ray Stevens. And I don't even know who they they wrestled, but just to show that the huge difference, like what happened. Um, but my question is, uh, I've heard this many, many times, and I think either one of you guys probably could tell me if it's legit or not. That that Vern Gagne offered the Sheik some money. If he would, if he would uh, actually hurt Hogan in that title match in uh, early 1984, that I, th- I heard the term hundred hundred grand if he broke Hogan's she, leg. She told me that face to face. Whether it's true or not, I don't know. She maybe Nikolai told uh, Nikita. I don't know. Yeah, she told me too, and it's in print. Backlund even brought it up in his book because he said the the night that. They were going to have the big match. He said, originally, Backlund was scheduled to have a return match. And then they changed it and said, well, he's got the shoulder injury. So he said, well, he had got tickets for somebody to go to the garden that night. So he said, I went down to make sure that there was no problem with the seats. And he said, I go in there and the locker room is really They've got, like, everything. Diarrhea, headache, nervous. They're, like, sitting in the corner shaking because it's like, is Sheik really going to do this? Is he going to screw us and break Hogan's leg? And Backlund's like, you know what? I'm out of here. You already advertised me as being too injured. Good luck. And he said, you know, Sheik did the right thing. He was a pro. But, yeah, there was a lot of concern as to whether or not the Sheik was going to do it. And he could have. Well, let, let me uh, transition further then, since we're looking at the what-if situations. Um, <clears throat> you, you two both very much involved in the business and, and knowledgeable of what was happening back then. One of the reputations, especially in, in modern times, as more and more stories have come out, uh, is the, the, the reputation Hulk Hogan developed for his politicking and backstage for lack of a better term, some of his backstage BS, where he didn't want to lose, he didn't want to drop titles, he he wanted to be the spotlight, um, even during, say, the runs of The Ultimate Warrior and Randy Savage, where Hulk Hogan was still one of the bigger sh- bigger attractions because he didn't want to be on the undercard. Um, <clears throat> I- I'm curious, if, if Hulk Hogan stays... Let's go back to what we originally talked about. Let's say he stays in the AWA, he, he fizzles out, he goes to... 
uh, what were some of the claims he made at the time? I think he claimed he had been invited to join Metallica or whatever. Um, you know, so so he's not in the WWF. And and let's let's go with your hypothetical, Sergeant Slaughter, WrestleMania three. Do, do, do you see like a mega powers transition with Slaughter to Savage or Slaughter to the Warrior? Um, and, and and do you see that being the next step if Hogan's not there to backstage keep it keep other people down the card? I don't know. When you get beyond 1984, I'm lost because I was not following any of it. I lived in my own tape world, which I still do. So it's like, I can't answer that. You have to get it from Evan. <laughs> Look, um, WWF, then WWF, then WWE is always going to be a money machine. They were doing fine just being East Coast. They did quite well, and one way or the other, they would have had a draw on top, and, you know, they've always made money. It, it, it basically became Vince's greed. I want it all. I want everything. I want this to be the world, you know, wrestling entertainment, as opposed to the East Coast, which... Uh, the family ran for, you know, decades. And uh, look, Piper could have been on top. Slaughter could have been on top. Savage, Warrior, they were all drawers in their own way. And um, I think, getting back to our original premise, had Hogan stayed in AWA, he would have drawn for six months or a year and eventually... Know, Vince would have offered him more money then and he would have jumped just like all those other guys jumped they all jumped there was a reason it was dollar signs and, you know? and look, at, look at this dichotomy George the Animal Steel became a face he was actually big part of Wrestlemania 3 against mm-hmm. Savage and even he said look with you, the playoff what you're talking Evan he said when we were a wrestling company I did good but when we started selling ice cream bars and lunch boxes and figures, then I did great. My, he said, I was feared as George the Animal Steel, the heel, but as George the Animal Steel, the goofy face that run around with doing all the other stupid stuff, he said, hey, I did really good. I'm, I'm ha- it was great for my bank account to use this word. Even yeah, well, George George always came in part time during the summer when he was off from school, and he would headline the arenas all summer, and then he'd go back in the fall. And uh, then when it blew up um, with Hulkamania and rock and wrestling, all of a sudden he was full time. You know, again, it's about the money. So uh, whether it was Ventura, Donis Heenan. Oakland, you know, down the line, these guys, Patera, these guys all saw the money here, and we say in New York, but in the East Coast, or, you know, the expansion of it worldwide. And, um, you know, one way or the other, Vern would have stepped, you know, fell over his own two feet and not, not, pay, not paid these guys enough, and they would have left. Because late late 80s, when it was on, on its death knell, you know, even the Rockers left and came to uh, WWE. They all left eventually. Anybody that Vince wanted anyway. 
Well, for as much as said about Vince McMahon being evil, Vern was too far behind because, you know, a lot of those guys like Patera that trained under him, what did they, what were they kicking back? 10 or 20%. That was the deal, right? You're going to pay Vern Gagne because I broke you in and for the rest of your life, apparently was the deal. Your gates, you're going to give me 10 or 20%. That's like, whoa, that's a, that's a lot well, of money. He, want, he wanted a lot more than that from Hogan for, uh, that was one of the reasons why Hogan resisted him was that, I, I don't know what percentage he wanted to, because Hogan was touring Japan constantly at that time. Yeah. And yeah. he wanted a huge percentage. And Hogan said, I'll, I'll split it with you. And Ganya said no. So can, I can only imagine how much he was actually getting, which is ridiculous. You could, you can price yourself out of business and you could, uh, you could just piss the talent off as I think is the case here again. Yeah. They were faithful to the old, guard like keeping the belt on Bachwinkle. but if you can't have enough business sense to see that this guy hogan's on fire let him go and let's just see what happens which i guess maybe mcmahon tried that with hogan that's why okay they they played the same thing with andre in the 70s you didn't see andre every month they put him out there holding back a little bit put him out there holding back a little bit and it worked well and like Evan said, Hogan wasn't on every card. He didn't do it in Baltimore, neither, or any place else. But there was testing grounds. And I think once they would have seen any kind of drop in money, he would have been gone. And so Ganya could have done the same thing. At least try it, man. But that, he didn't want to hear it. So Hogan packed his bags and off he went. Mick Koch, who was the AWA announcer on his page, he said that, not he, somebody said that um, Ganya yelled at all the boys except Bachwinkle and Lonza, Blackjack Lonza. And, um, you know, he was a real boss. He he wasn't like buddy-buddy with these guys. And, uh, you know... Bachwinkle was an older guy, intelligent, you know, um, you know, he, he, he was somebody everybody respected. And I could understand because I saw Bachwinkle in those waning AWA days in New Jersey, wrestling Zabisco for the AWA title. And Bachwinkle in his 50s was still great. He was still great. And uh, I can understand why Vern wanted him on top. He was a friend, and he, you know, was honorable, and he was going to do as Vern, you know, wanted him to do or whatnot. And um, I guess he didn't trust Hogan. He was a different generation, different mindset, um, and not his pal, you know, like, like Bachwinkle was. That, so, could be, um, that could be a big word, too, Evan, trust. I, I know I can trust Bachwinkle. You, Hogan, I don't know what you're going to do. So, yeah, that, that's a big part. You have to acknowledge that. Yeah. Hey, you also have to it, figure um, that what Benny was talking about with, with the issues with merchandise and other things is, according to his own autobiography Hogan said one of the big issues he and Ganya had was Vern Ganya wanted a cut of his Japan money because I you know you're you're my star you go to Japan and make a lot of money you're that's because of me and Hogan basically told him to 
town sand. Um, I, I'm curious to kind of get back to our original point um, to circle back, if we will. Uh, I'm looking at, at at the the expansion at the time when you have your your Black Saturday and some of these other territory wars uh, where McMahon starts gobbling up the competition or in some cases running them out of business. The, the famous story of, um, of the survivor series where he tells the pay-per-view companies, if you run, if you run Starcade instead of the survivor series, you don't get WrestleMania. And that killed a lot of Starcade's numbers. Um, I, 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 do you, you seem to be kind of a consensus, uh, Benny, I'm going to bounce this to you that, even if, if Hulk Hogan had never existed, the WWF still takes over the wrestling world just because of the, what, what the vision Vince McMahon had. Uh, Benny, go. What, what, do you, what, do you, yeah, what are your thoughts mean, here? I guess I was of the opinion until, you know, the, these guys have kind of swayed me a little bit the other way. I, I thought that maybe, you know, Hogan could have sustained it for a bit. I, I know that long term it probably wasn't going to happen. You know, eventually Vince would have taken over. Um, but... Um, I, I think you have to listen to you know both Evan and Nikita that it was a juggernaut. It was going to happen no matter what. And you know Nikita made the point about TV, TV outlets, and that's that's how uh, reportedly uh, Vince got Vern out of San Francisco, which was one of uh, Vern's strongholds. Was that he just went out to the Bay Area and he, he just outbid what I think he was paying. He paid the uh, the local TV outlet. I think it was twenty five hundred dollars a week, which in nineteen eighty three eighty four was pretty big money. Yeah. And Vern Vern didn't have the cash to to keep up with him, and that's and that's 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 pretty much how he did it in a lot of the territories. Is he bought up the TV time? Once he had the TV time, like Nikita said, that's pretty much. Then you can advertise for upcoming shows, and then when you run the shows, you know you're gonna you're gonna generate some revenue. So, I don't know. I, I in my fantasy mind, I would love to have thought that like they would have, you know, they would have kept in business, but I, I mean. You, bottom line is you know vince was a way better businessman it was delay it would have delayed the inevitable hogan would have had his run in the awa as champ and you know whether it was six months a year a year and a half eventually vince would have came calling with all kinds of money and uh you know supposed opportunity and uh that would have been that. I mean, it's it's not like, you know, I hate to be repetitive, but it's not a coincidence that all of Vern's guys jumped, you know. Eventually, Bockwinkle was working for uh, WWE uh, as an agent. They, they, they all ended up there. You know, I hate to use the word all. I don't mean every single guy, you know, down to the prelim guys, but uh. mo- the vast majority of the major stars ended up there because Vince paid better. And and yes, Vince had better TV, and he was taking over all the territories. He wanted it all, and you can call it vision. I could call it all-consuming greed and ruthlessness. It may be somewhere in the middle, but eventually the same result would have happened regardless. And, and um, Hogan had a lot of heat, even at the Hall of Fame ceremony. Paul Orndorff was pissed off, and he said, you know, we made Hogan. The heels did. And he was talking to Nikolai. And Piper was there as well, and it was like, yeah, you know, it's us. We put Hogan over. If it wouldn't have been for us, he wouldn't be shit. 
And here he is, Sylvester Stallone's making the big introduction tonight. He's got all the grand poobah shit going on. And Orndorff's like, you know, we get 10 or 15 minutes. And I think Orndorff even mentioned it in his speech. If it wasn't for us, Hogan wouldn't have been anything. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you better believe it. Orndorff could have had a run as champion. Absolutely. And, uh, in WWE, Absolutely. he was so hot. No doubt, no doubt. He was close when he was in Georgia. Yeah, he he was. He could have taken over the world without a doubt. Well, keeping with the uh, with the what if, Nikita, let me ask you something. Uh, one of the appeals that Hogan had with the Real American and the Red and Yellow and the you know tear the shirt and, and uh, he was kind of the, the you know he obviously. When he pinned the Sheik, he single-handedly won the Cold War. And, you know, as as somebody with experience in, I mean, maybe just a little uh, experience in the foreign heel market, um, I'm curious if if they don't have that big American icon, um, yeah, the typical monster of the week story, you build up a foreign heel uh, Hogan beats him for America. You build up another foreign heel. Hogan beats him for America. Uh, the the storyline with Slaughter in '91 with the Gulf War. Um, do you think that that you get that marketability and success um, without the foreign heel gimmick, or is that kind of what helped Hogan get to that next level? No, it helped him because we had it with Fuji and Tanaka in the '70s, and Waldo von Erich as well, because World War II wasn't that far gone. So these people could be projected as enemies of the country. And it was definitely Bruno come to the rescue. You know, he put him down. But then after a while, you know, the war becomes a fainted memory and people don't really care anymore. So Tanaka and Fuji drift off to the sunset. Waldo von Erich, nobody really cares about the German gimmick anymore. Von Raschke, he did a great job as just himself. He wasn't really pushing a, a huge German hates the United States gimmick. He was just a great German wrestler. So, yeah, after a while, like with Sheikah and Nikolai, you know, they were a great tag team. I think the greatest of all time because you had a great scientific wrestler plus a powerhouse. And it, not just drawing power, but as a team. But then after a while, that's why Nikolai decided, you know, I'm going to be faced now because Iron Curtain has fallen. Russia's lost its heat. Sheik, too. He pretty much, they hated him so much that they began to love him over the years because he's just so funny. I mean, his Hall of Fame speech is probably the classic of all. It can never be topped. Although I really believe Ernie the Cat Lad had the best Hall of Fame speech at the first induction in Baltimore when he inducted Bobo Brazil. Ernie Ladd was just fantastic with the things he said. But you'll you'll never hear about that because it didn't have all the big fanfare and hoopla. Yeah, you have to understand that um, when Nikita and I were sitting there in the 70s, 80s, you know, my dad fought in World War II. And this was a blue-collar crowd. This was not a, you know, highly educated crowd. These were working people. Tickets were cheap. You know, the dads would take their kids, and they really hated the Russian heels and the German heels and the Japanese heels because they were there. They were there in World War II. And, and uh, you know, it, it was a different audience. It was a different time, and the people believed 
like like Nikita's book. You know, people believed. And, you know, it wasn't until much later when the Internet kicked in and everybody was smartened up and, you know, where it became a very different product. But, yeah, Hogan was the perfect guy for that time because it it was still a blue-collar crowd. And before the shift, yeah, you know, Hogan beating Sheik and Nikolai and Slaughter, it was perfect. It was perfect for that audience, and uh, it wouldn't work today. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's, a diff- it's a different world. But, um, you know, I-, I don't have any great hatred of Hulk Hogan. I mean, I enjoyed him with Piper and Orndorff and Savage and a handful of others. But, you know, he wasn't a hero to me like Bruno or Pedro or you know, Monsoon and these guys. Uh, but um, he was who he was. <laughs> he he did the same shtick every night, basically. I put it in print. I understood it had to change. I didn't like it. But the guys we idolized were getting older. It wasn't going to continue. And it had to go. And they took it in the direction it went. And it worked for them. So, okay, I accept it. That's the way it went. No hard feelings. Uh, Benny, it's a hard we, feelings oh, now ahead. that it's a total circus. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you look at kids today, and, and I see it through their eyes, and they are, they are like we were back then, and you sit there and you think, how? How can you? But they used to say that about us. How can you watch that? And it's like, are you kidding me? How can you not watch it? But Well, I'll tell you guys a funny story. Um, right before the pandemic, uh, one of my buddies throws me a free ticket to a SmackDown taping. And I'm sitting there at the garden, and uh, it's a sea of kiddies and their parents. It's a totally different audience. Little kids. I'm talking little kids, okay? And it was basically Pavlov's dogs. The theme music would come on. The, the video would come on, and the kids would go out of their minds. And it absolutely didn't matter how good or bad the match was. And uh, the kids were in heaven. And, um, I, I mean, I literally got up about two hours into it and just walked out the door. I go, I'm not enjoying this whatsoever. And it was so – it's funny because I'm a music guy. You know, I'll go see George Clinton with a 20-piece band – I just found the noise like ear shattering to me. Maybe because I wasn't into it, but uh, I just picked myself up and left. I hear you. I hear you. But it's like the circus today. They don't go home and talk about it like we did for weeks and, and like live till the next show. It's like, okay, it's over. Where are we going to eat? What, you know, what are we going to do now? It's like not important enough to carry you again 40 years we have discussions about what went on back then and people may think well do you have a life yeah we have a life i know evan has one you guys do but that was important that was part of what molded us to make us the people we were following our heroes well let me let me just let me just add this um which people may not realize you know, pre-pandemic, um, two, three years ago, WWE would come into the garden 
like Hogan. <laughs> now they come into the garden maybe three or four times a year, not 12 times a year. And the tickets were quite expensive. You know, uh, ringside was, was well over $100. They had VIP packages for $600 Jeez. where you meet the wrestler and take home a chair. Mm-hmm. And if you do the math, you know, let's say you have two kids, two parents, food, parking, gimmicks for the kids, you know, souvenirs. You're talking hundreds upon hundreds of dollars. So this becomes junior's birthday present, graduation present, Christmas present. This isn't a monthly thing like when we were kids where we'd go pretty much every month. In fact, I I have an article for Pro Wrestling Stories. I used to go to the Garden, the Nassau Coliseum, and the Westchester County Center pretty much every month. So that's that's almost weekly because it was cheap. You had a 50-cent program, not a $30 T-shirt. And now it's like, you know, poor mom and dad, they have to save all year to take Junior to a WWE show. It's a different experience. And if Definitely. you go for a hot dog and a refreshment drink and something else, it's like you're going to go and have a steak dinner somewhere because it's the same price. We're talking several hundred dollars for tickets, food, gimmicks, parking. Yep. Several hundred bucks. Yep. Benny, as we, uh, as we wrap up, uh, final thoughts. Well, I mean, based on, on, you know, on Nikita and Evan's, their last comments i'm having flashbacks so you know when when evan said about all the little kitties and i'm i'm flashing back to when i first started watching wrestling in late 1968 capital wrestling from washington dc with ray morgan and if you i mean you can there aren't that many clips on youtube but there are a few and you see there it's an older crowd and you know the, the you know gentlemen wearing you know suits and ties and kind of like ward cleaver you know and they were even wearing hats you know, they're, they're all you know, they're dressed to the nines to go to a wrestling match and, you know, contrast it to today. And then, you know, as far as the, the money aspect of it, I remember, and I, correct me if I'm wrong, um, Nikita, but you would buy your ticket to the next show. Then you buy your ticket to the next show at intermission of the, you know, the current show? No, the, before that one started. The tickets were oh, on sale at six. So you already bought your tickets, yeah. And that's why I said we had no idea who was going to be on the show, but we knew it was going to be great, and we wanted the tickets. But there was a guy named Bud, don't know his last name, he would get in line at like 9 in the morning and wait until 6 p.m. for the ticket window to open so he got the best seats. So it's like, yeah, when people say it's cyclical, not in those days it wasn't. It was a religion to us, and we followed but, it. I mean, based on, on Evan's comments, now it's it's like a budget line item. It's not well, an afterthought. Yeah. I mean, when you bought your ticket, it was an afterthought. I mean, it's like you know, a little bit of pocket money to buy another ticket. Now, if you know you buy for a family of four, you, you probably can't do something else because of that. Right. Yeah, I mean, a four it, it, like like you were talking about with the with the close seats, especially the floor seats where you get to keep the chair and all that. A family of four plus, like Nikita said, a couple hot dogs and a couple of sodas for the kids, and you're dropping a thousand dollars easy for for what a two hour show. Thousand dollars for a I, mediocre show. I, I mean, I'll I'll. I'll my my thought, closing thought. Um, I'll share a little side story with you. My wife and I are very 
very adamant wrestling fans. We go to all the shows around here, especially we love the, the smaller indie shows here in Virginia. It's VCW um, and friends of the program. Uh, but we've had, uh, we went to a SmackDown show not too long before the, uh, before the pandemic started and we were second row and in front of us was a little girl who was some diehard Randy Orton fan. This was back when Randy Orton was on SmackDown and she was standing on her chair with a big sign. And I said something to the, to the security and they didn't want to do anything about it because she was a kid. And here my, I'd spent a significant amount of money for second row seats. And we missed, like, I, I couldn't see like a third of the show because this little girl in front of me was in the first row was holding up a sign. Um, and, and, and it kind of, it, it hurt my experience how young and childish the crowd was. But you watch the old, uh, you, Dikita, you talked about living in the air in the tapes, you know. You watch the old uh, old tapes, and there's old women and old men throwing punches at at Jim Cornette or, uh, you know, the, the the Midnight Express he, telling stories about uh, coming out of the arena and their tires are slashed because the crowd, the all the, you know, the adult crowd was ready to kill them. Like uh, stories about people getting stabbed and beat up. You know, it, it, like you said, when, when it was real and I, you don't see that anymore. And I, unfortunately, kind of a part of that is the success of the the foundation that was built from Hogan and the AWA and, and all these things kind of falling apart and, and falling into place for McMahon because he was able to bring in the kids and he saw the kid money and the Disney money and all that. Um, but it's, it's a shame. And um, I'm going to bounce to you guys. Uh, Evan first, uh, final, any final thoughts on what we've been talking about tonight? Yes. Um, the whole mentality, the, the whole MO has changed. It used to be about selling tickets to a wrestling show. Now it's about selling merchandise to kids and young adults. Every morning, virtually every morning, in, in my inbox, I, I get messages from WWE trying to sell me T-shirts. They're relentless. It's like the Terminator. They keep coming at you. It's 50% off. It's Memorial Day sale. It's, you know, buy these T-shirts. It's not about putting on a quality wrestling show. And even the pay-per-views, it's an event. It's hundreds of dollars. It's even thousands of dollars for WrestleMania. It's, it's, a, it's a different product. And... You know, Broadway's the same. You know, when I was a kid, Broadway was dirt cheap, and it was, you know, anybody could go. Now it's hundreds of dollars, and it's a Christmas present. You know, same scenario, ball. but yeah, ball game. But greed, but greed isn't good. Greed isn't good. And have some, some <laughs> care into the wrestling itself. Vince doesn't even like the word wrestling. Nope. It's sports entertainment. You know, it's not about putting on a great main event and a great show. It's about moving that merch. It's, it's, a, it's a different feel to it. Nikita? Well, that's why nobody was – you would never have an opportunity to talk with a wrestler before a show like you do with the indie shows as they're pushing their own merchandise because they're not making a lot of money on of these shows. So, yeah, you, you definitely – your whole it's a salesmanship kind of a situation how how are you going to push this and, and 
what we're talking here. The merchandise is wrestling as they let's say like your your big push thing. Okay, it's wrestling, but merchandise is a small arm of that. But it's taken over the animal itself. So now, again, like I said about George Steele, he said when when we were just wrestling, I did good. But when we were selling the gimmicks, then I did great. So there they are. But the, back to the original pro premise of the show, Hulk Hogan. If he hadn't come over, it would have been it would have continued on. Take a pick. The names we mentioned: Slaughter, Piper, Orndorff. Somebody would have carried the torch without a doubt. Go for it, Benny. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think that's very interesting. It, it's, you know, and honestly, Slaughter is somebody I never would have thought of. Uh, I, I, In my mind, it would have been like a Ken Patera or a Don Morocco or a Snuka if, you know, Snuka had his head on straight. But, you know, now that you mentioned Slaughter would have been a great choice. And he could have sustained it for a while. Well, there were a lot well, of fights and, and uh, fatigues, people wearing fatigues in the crowds everywhere he went, the Garden, Spectrum, Bolt, everywhere. He did more for patriotism at that time before 9-11 than anybody. I mean, it was incredible. Well, let me just let me just throw this in because people don't realize, and I know they don't realize because I see them making derogatory comments on wrestling pages. When Hogan wasn't on the card, Tito Santana and Greg Valentine headlined arenas for the Intercontinental Belt. Mm -hmm. And they sold out Madison Square Garden. And mm -hmm. Slaughter and Sheik boot camp matches sold out the arenas when Hogan wasn't there. And so, so sure, there were people that would have drawn had Hogan not come in. But, uh, but again, I don't think he would have saved the AWA. Not, not, not one guy, not when the promoter's working against himself in various uh, respects. All right. Right. You know, it, it's funny. Last time we had you gentlemen on, we talked about the the what if scenario of keeping the title on Billy Graham instead of Bob Backlund. And here, 40 years later, we were in disagreement. Uh, here we are, you know, for what, 40 years after Hogan jumped ship to uh, or almost 40 years after Hogan jumped ship. And where uh, where we seem to be in total agreement, the WWF survives, the AWA still fails, uh, regardless. Um, and, and who knows? Maybe as a as a kid growing up, I mean, I'm 37, so as a kid growing up in in the Hulkamania era, maybe I would have been a, a slaughterhead instead. I was always a huge fan of his anyway. But yeah, I, I agree with Benny. That's he's not somebody I would have thought of. But you guys make the great case, and that's why we love having you on. Um, so uh, last thought, Benny. Um, I mean, we, we continue to grow and expand. This is uh, the second time we've had you guys on and, and uh, involvement from, from the likes of you, uh, Nikita, your book we've talked about in the past, Evan, uh, and your involvement in, in film. It, you guys really give, I want to thank you both for coming on again, because especially being involved in, in, the, in the Facebook page in some of the conversations and all, you guys, for lack of a better term, give, give us an air of legitimacy being, you know, the, having the support of such big names and, and people that are respected as you are. So again, I thank you guys for being here. Um, Dan and Benny in the ring. Uh, Benny, we just hit, what was it? Uh, we, just, we topped over 600 last We're week. We're at 620 as of right now. Six, 620. So, I mean, we continue to grow. Um, not, not bad for, for a page that, that kind of got half thrown together at the end there. Um, 
and, 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 and tell all can... you guys, please, please check out 350 Days. Bret Hart, Superstar Billy Graham, Tito, Greg Valentine, all the legends we talked about. Honestly, you know, if, if people don't read uh, um, the the book, the you know, the when it was real. When it was real, yes. book, and if they don't watch 350 Days, they're not wrestling fans. Those are both they're like huge resources. I mean, the book is like an encyclopedia from a fan's perspective from the you know from the for the whole decade of the 70s. And that movie, 350 Days, you get to see wrestlers like you've never seen them before. You get to see Ox Baker making meatloaf or whatever he was making in the kitchen. Yeah. It, but that when, alone was worth it to me. There's another one, the wrestling then and now movie. And that's basically what that's free, right, Evan? If you yeah, want to Amazon Prime. Yeah. Amazon Prime. You want to be a wrestler, take a look at that because that'll show you what the life is. You ain't gonna be eating steak, daddy, and sleeping in a five star hotel. You're gonna be dealing with a lot of garbage. Good luck. You better I luck. Like- and, Nicol- I mean, and Nikolai and Nikita are in that. Nikita's humble, but he, he's in that movie. Yeah. Thank you. Well, they're, Not humble they're... by the Iron Sheik, though, like true humble. <laughs> <laughs> I like your back. Um, there, there you have it. I mean, we, we talked about it last time, and we'll, I'll pitch it one final time. Uh, 350 Days and rest, Watch Wrestling Then and Now. Uh, both, I believe both are on Amazon. And uh, both phenomenal yeah. documentaries, like Benny said, musts for any Thanks. wrestling fan. Uh, Nikita, the book is When It Was Real. Uh, that's also available on Amazon. Uh, I recommend that to anybody who wants to hear even a remotely, I mean, anybody, any interest in wrestling whatsoever, you have stories in there that are phenomenal. And, and it's, it puts a light on the wrestling business that I think every fan should be able to appreciate. Um, so, gentlemen, again, uh, Evan Ginsberg, Nikita Brezhikov for the BS Express himself, Benny Scala. I'm Dan Spasciano. Have a good night, everyone. And as always, happy wrestling. <laughs>